Welcome to Diplomacy, the podcast for communications in mergers and acquisitions, brought to you by Corporate Diplomat. With our guests, we will discuss how the financial, economic, political and social context can actually impact the value created by a transaction. My name is Louis de Schallemer, and I will be your host. Welcome to Diplomacy. My name is Louis de Schallemer, and I will be your host. Our guest today is Christian Bücheli, Head of Corporate Development, Change and Communications at PayOne, and Head of Corporate and Strategic Development at Worldline Merchant Services where you're also a member of the management team. Chris, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Louis. Thanks for having me here. It's an honor. I'm looking forward to an interesting conversation with you this afternoon. So let's see what, uh, what we will find out during this 20-25 minutes. <laughs> yes, so Chris, this postcard is about people and the role they can play or they do play in making organizations different and the way they make organizations successful. So allow me to start with a question, who or what has made the person you are today? There's been a lot of factors which made me become the person that I am today. I come from a very multicultural family, I would say. My father is a very good musician. My mother is very good when it comes to graphical arts. And so I have some sort of an atypical skill set. I'm not the classic manager with a normal, you know, a normal figure's brains, but I would use both brain sides. I think that is one of my most important traits. And then a little bit more on the, well, on the negative side, but also positive side, if you want so. When I was young, in my early 20s, I was very, very sick, actually. I had a severe disease, and that made me think differently in many aspects. That made me look at things from a more sustainable perspective, and that was also, for me, the reason why I, already in that age, wanted to work more on the strategic layer of things things that basically are pay out uh, after many years. That's what made me become the person that I am today. So I'm not a classical manager with short-term objectives, but I'm, I'm very much looking forward to sustainable goals to be reached in all the projects that I'm doing. Wow, impressive. Thank you for that one. Chris, if you look over the long term, you just mentioned that you have a sustainable strategic thinking. Nowadays, there is a different way uh, to address sustainability in our corporate world. So if you look over the last couple of years, so how has the corporate world developed in terms of strategic thinking? How do you see the things? I would say that over and all, very positive. You know, if you look at corporate social responsibility, this is something which is now happening in a very structured way in, in many industries. In Pay One as well as in Worldline, we have dedicated teams which are looking to into this from a very close perspective, trying out to really find out measures and initiatives that are effective to in, in our business. It's not that we're doing some greenwashing, it's really that we're finding out these tools and these, these measures that bring something to us, to our customers and to the customers of our customers. So I would say over and all, a very good 
and development. There's always been companies who have worked in a more sustainable way, more than others. Oftentimes it was down to the owners in the past. Nowadays it has become some sort of a, maybe we should call it obligation. I don't know. It's maybe a little bit of of a hard term. But the, the nice thing today is that uh, sustainability and economical success do not exclude themselves anymore today. Definitely. That's probably one of the major progresses that has been made. Chris, you just mentioned also the strategic development on how organizations have implemented. And you said you have the different teams and you have developed different teams who are looking at corporate development at change within your role. How do you make sure you translate this strategic vision that, that you have defined into your deal flow, into your transactions, into your M&A execution? Well, first, I have to say that for me, M&A is not something which is standing apart. It's something which is always embedded into the overall corporate strategy. And only if there, if in the corporate strategy, we define M&A as a measure then we kick off M&A projects. And these M&A projects, they can be either, you know, classic scale deals, so basically where you try to buy more uniform business and leverage economies of scale and scope, or complementary businesses where you, you acquire companies which have functions and features and products that you today do not have in order to enrich your offering towards the customer. And so if the M&A is embedded in properly in the corporate strategy, there's no contradiction. And then you have a very nice round story to tell everybody in the company, but also not only the company yourself, but also the company you're going to buy. That leads indeed to the question of how you can explain or what is important for the narrative. Is that that it is embedded in the strategy? Is that the key argument to justify or to support an M&A decision? In the overall strategy, there needs to be a need for mergers and acquisitions. Otherwise, it, it doesn't really fly. So if you, if you have a growth strategy, which consists of, of organic and inorganic moves, then obviously the inorganic moves are already embedded in the overall corporate strategy. That's one, that's the general topic. And then when it comes to the single target, the rationale has to be very strong. There has to be a rationale which is watertight, which is is 100% clear to everybody around the base on which you then can build the narrative that is basically understandable to everybody. When do you build that rationale? Is that at the beginning when you're sitting around the table and looking at your deal or the potential deals? Or how do you aggregate such a rationale or who contributes in developing this rationale? There's two points of it. Oftentimes, the, the first part happens when you define it in the overall strategy. Like, for example, if you if you want to say you want to become a very strong player in certain markets, then obviously you then describe in the strategy why the reasons the reasons why you want to become such a strong player in the in the market, and already start moving towards certain geographies or verticals in which you want to grow. So you basically lay the foundation for the for the narrative already there in the strategy. And then when the first targets occur, then you start adapting the narrative specifically around that target. We are currently, for example, now looking at a target where we are now 
honing down the, the, the narrative more in detail, but also coming up with a transaction structure, which should be most appealing to the selling party. So basically before having a long PowerPoint presentation, you have one sentence. Yeah, it's more than one sentence. It's really, it's really a storyline that you need. You know, it's like it's like a storyboard that you need, and a storyboard needs to be written for different audiences. You know, you need internal audiences at different levels, but you also need the external audience, where basically, you know, you you, you talk to the people in the company you're about to buy on different levels, but then also to investors, obviously, which again might require some, let's say, the narrative and a certain in the tonality, which which to some extent is a little bit different. Do you see that narratives from your financial sector in which you operate need to be very different or are transactions very different in the financial sector from transactions in other segments or other service or industry sectors? Or is it overall, you would say the process flow should be the same and of course there are nuances in legal governance and whatever aspects but overall the process is similar in many aspects it is similar to to what you hear in other industries what is so very important in our industry is that we went through a lot of consolidation in the last 10 to 15 years you know if you look at the payment services landscape in europe uh, in the early 2000s you would see a myriad of players out there oftentimes, you know, regional players or national players. And we went through different waves of consolidation. We first had national consolidation, then we had a wave of uh, regional consolidation, and now we're in the, in the last wave, which we're, we're basically talking about global consolidation. And this kind of continuous consolidation is something which is, is very unique to our industry. It's been going on for the last 15, 18 years. It's still not over. Because the reason is that the the complexity of the business is increasing in, in which we're in. And also the regulator is becoming more and more attentive of what, what we're doing. So if you're if you if you're too small from a scale from a scale perspective, you might want to line up with somebody who's larger who can who can help you manage those challenges in a very efficient way. Does that open up to how you look at success of an integration? So when you have to look, let's say, six months, one year later, into how successful have we been, how do you define that? The time delay you specify is, is a bit short you know, in, in our industry. Normally, our transactions are very, when it comes to integration, are very technology intensive, right? How we measure success is in many ways. Of course, first and foremost, you measure it on the, on the financial traction, on the synergies that you that you manage to to leverage. That's one of the most important things that we're continuously tracking. But then also very important is how we manage to simplify the technology environment that, that you have. Because oftentimes when you buy uniform businesses, these businesses have their own processing systems as well. And you need to bring them over to a part target platform over time. And that target platform migration is, is one of the key levers for success. And if you get delayed on that, then obviously the entire synergies that you want to want to want to rip uh, are getting delayed. And these synergies, specifically on the cost side for the platforms, 
are oftentimes taking three to five years until you finally can profit from them. So that these are the hard factors, but then also there's the soft factors that we consider very much for us, for example, very important is also what's happening on the cultural side, you know, do we manage to come up with a, with a joint culture that everybody in the joint company can stand behind and can carry or not? That, that is an essential one. And that is why we always, when we go into M&A projects, we make cultural analysis. We try to define or try to find out the different cultures in the different companies and work together on a target culture that we want to embed over time. And the last but not least, it's all, it's also, you know, how people talk about the M&A action. Do they see it as a, as a success? Are they proud of it? Or do they see it as a failure? And as a response, what happens to churn? You know, can we keep the good people or do we lead, do we lose good, good people due to mergers and acquisitions? Interesting, the qualitative assessment that you just referred to. So basically, the sentiment of success is an interesting one because I mentioned to you before this study that looks at first reactions of the market. So that has been a longitudinal study over 20 years mm. where basically they say that if the market, so that was for listed transactions, but not all transactions are listed, but that's where you had the data. Basically, they said that if the market reacts positively, it is more likely for the transaction to generate added value. And if the market reacts negatively, the added value is much more difficult to get. That's in summary what they would say. Is that something that would resonate when you talk about a qualitative assessment and the challenges or the care you take in the cultural aspects of a transaction? I would say as long as the transaction proceeds as planned means nothing very unforeseen happens all of a sudden you know maybe uh, um, something in the industry or some other big transaction from competitor then normally what you mentioned i would subscribe to this absolutely it's absolutely true and it boils back to the rational and the narrative right because oftentimes these transactions that are perceived positively why are they perceived positively because the story behind this is a story that is around that everybody understands that everybody believes in and therefore therefore these transactions get that benefit that credit of which they then then profit over time this is very clear. I really like your expression here on the round story. That's the nice word to explain because, again, it goes back to what you said initially, which is the embedding into your corporate strategy. It's just yep. coherent and consistent, and that's why people like it and can follow it. When you talk about this and the corporate behaviors and the cultural aspects you also mentioned, the simplification of technology, you talked about the finding of cooperation or a common ground on a cultural common ground. How difficult is it to change habits when you have to change or integrate something which we all are used to? We know where to go to coffee machines. We know who are the people that we report into. We are used to our brands, maybe. How difficult is it to change behaviors? 
It, it is probably the most difficult thing to do in, in, in a transaction. I remember one transaction back from 2003 where in, in, in a former company, we bought another company. And for many years, I would even say, even, even today, if you walk through the offices, you still can kind of sense who originally comes from that company and who not. I mean, they've blended in and culture-wise and so forth, but still, I mean, the way they do things, the way they look at things, the way they act is a bit different, which is different doesn't mean negative. It's, it, it is just different. And the challenge is basically to find a new whole, a new common for all these differences in a joint target strategy. If I look, for example, at now, you know, the, the wider world line or, or pay one group, this group has grown over time a lot through mergers and acquisitions, and it has preserved a lot of local cultures. We're working on an overall group culture and we're slowly but steadily getting there. But people also are proud about the localism and what they've achieved locally. And there's a very, very delicate balance between, you know, coming up with one target culture versus having local pride and and, 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 and local cultures that are that allow to perform and allow to oftentimes proximity to customers which by a more generic culture is not possible. Does that mean that your managers and your leadership teams and your teams are aware that they own the culture? Or is that delegated this responsibility to, let's say, your communications department or an HR department? Is this for leadership? Are they conscious that they own the corporate culture? Oh, of course. I mean, we, we do it in two ways. We have we have people who actively are change in culture manager, right? They mm -hmm. work on all these analysis. They work on target cultures. They do workshops. They do vertical and horizontal workshops across the team, across the whole landscape in the company on one side. But the leaders are always involved. You need the leaders in, in those workshops because they are the ones which, which basically need to transmit the message. They're the owners of it. Chris, this is fantastic. I really have learned a lot again. So let me maybe summarize the key points that I heard from you. The first one is the really the importance of embedding your M&A narrative into the corporate strategy so that it makes the story round that stakeholders internal and external can follow you and understand why the transaction is relevant. The second one, which I really like and which we just developed that goes beyond the cultural aspects and what we are known or what we do know about the cultural analysis and cultural fits is that you actually support the qualitative assessment of people. So basically, what do people say, which it doesn't fit into any Excel table, and which doesn't necessarily fit into a graphic, it's a sentiment of, hmm, we have done a good job here, which makes people stay, and which is coming. And that was your last word here, which is led by your leadership and the responsibility that they carry to live the culture. I really enjoyed that very much. Do you have a last tip, a last advice to give to our audience? 
Yeah, there is one. I mean, never get carried away by, by a transaction. You know, oftentimes transactions start evolving in, into some sort of a self-dynamism whereby it, it becomes very difficult to roll back at a certain point. But in my eyes, no is always an answer. Everybody should always have the option to say, no, stop, at this point, we're not going to go any further. It doesn't make sense. Even if it is a face loss, if it is good for the company, if it is wiser for the future, for the staff and for the success, then it's always a good option to also not to pursue a transaction. Very precious. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for joining us today in this episode. I really loved what we have heard. I'm looking forward to see you in person one of these days. Thank you, Louis. It was a pleasure to me as well. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Diplomacy. Please explore our website www.corporate-diplomat.com or our LinkedIn page. I hope you have enjoyed. Feel free to subscribe and hit the follow button. Have a great day.